Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. If you're a fan of cricket, you'll know that today was the most extraordinary day's play. I mean, despite a swinging, spinning, seeming bowler's wicket, the Ashes are somehow still alive. Leach stuck to his crease manfully, and Stokes stroked all kinds of balls all over the stadium, smacking flippers and googlies on the onside, the offside for six and for four. Although, of course, none of this would have happened had the umpire given the plum LB, or had Lyon simply swatted those bales off the stumps for that run out just before Stokes and Leach both got those huge runs and those beautiful runs and they were the runs that they and England so desperately desired. If you're not a fan of cricket, believe me, all of that actually made sense. Welcome to Cop On Podcast, you dancing little sparkler. My name's Owen and I'm here to talk about the greatest game on earth, football, and the greatest team on earth, Liverpool. I'm very happy to say that joining me today is Majd in Minnesota and a very special guest, Nish, in Australia. And Nish is from the excellent podcast called the LFC Couch. Do check it out. I started by asking Nish to explain all about it to you the gorgeous listener. Enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening. So the LFC Couch, uh, we started back in about June 2016. So cracking on three years now of the couch. And it was basically because no one wanted to talk to me. (laughs) I'll be completely honest. I was just a random Liverpool fan from Australia. and I was knocking on people's doors. Hey, I've got 100 followers. Who wants to talk to me about Liverpool? I'd love to be on your podcast. And everyone said no. So I was like, well, that's got to change. So uh, I created my own podcast, as you do when you're a nerd and you have a microphone. So, And I based it, based it completely on just talking to fans, no matter how many followers they have, where they are in the world, uh, anything like that. No bias, no prerequisites thought of who they could be. And just started doing that. We're about we're over 300 episodes in now, so we're absolutely loving it. That's absolutely brilliant. And and a very similar story to Cup on Podcast, I have to say. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know many Liverpool fans where I live in, in Paris. And I'm just dying to talk about, you know, well, it's, there's just so much to talk about, isn't there? With the, these Rocket Reds, it's going so well, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely superb. Um, the Arsenal match... Uh, I mean, what time was it here? It was uh, 5.30. So it would have been the middle of the night for you, Nish, no? The the Arsenal match. Where did you watch it? I watched it next to my pregnant wife <laughs> in bed on my phone at 2.30am. So that, that was our time zone over here. So it, I had to try my best not to wake her up whenever he scored but um yeah it wasn't the best viewing <laughs> not the best viewing situation but you got to do what you got to do you got to be a husband as well as a uh, a watcher very important yeah but i mean i mean how did you not celebrate how did you not scream wildly when mo salah was through on goal for the third <laughs> it's tough i had my my airpods in my ears so i could listen to the noise and the singing and the cheering and so forth and just just like a quiet little fist bump to myself, going "Yeah, come on, Mo," <laughs> or whatever. So it was a it was a weird a weird watcher. 
Brilliant. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, what about you, Maz? Where did you watch it? Were you at home? Did you go to the bar? I watched it at the comfort of my home. <laughs> Excellent. And what did you and what did you make of it? I mean, we we you know we're now we're um, in our opening three matches in the Premier League. We've scored nine and we've got three against. So three one is actually an average scoreline. Uh, was this? But was this our best performance so far? It was far from an average performance, wasn't it? I think it was. You have to admit that that like the way we started the first half was incredible. We put the pressure on them like we were pressing them like crazy. And I feel like they might have played into our hands a little bit, but we were completely annihilated them in this game. Like for 80 minutes, probably we were all over them. They had nothing. So yeah, I think it was our best performance of the season, no doubt about it. What pleased you the most for about it? I think it was the control we had over the game and how much in control we were. That's that's the greatest. That's the best thing about this performance because against Norwich, we got the four goals, but we let in a few chances that we shouldn't have and teams were able to Norwich were able to pass through us against Chelsea we were awful but we won the game against Southampton we were awful but Mane saved us at the end of the first half so it was just it's just nice to see a consistent performance where we controlled the game we're controlling the narrative of the game we're doing what we want to do we're pressing Arsenal we're not letting them breathe on the ball Okay, well, maybe we're not creating chances, but we're really close to scoring, and we're really like a couple blocks or a last-ditch tackle away from scoring. So that's really the big improvement is the ability to control the game. That's a very good point, yeah, because we have been struggling with that, haven't we? Uh, yeah, no, that's very, very good stuff. What about you, Nish? What, what do you take out of this, out of this fantastic win? It's uh, a lot to what Madge is saying as well. It's, it's the control. It's the dominance. It's the absolute fear that Arsenal had of just simply facing us I mean we're there going yeah we beat you every year we beat you you're absolutely crap against the top six Arsenal we know you are but in this game and and Klopp actually said it post-match he goes we didn't we've never seen them play like this in preseason. we've never seen them play like this in any other games he was completely surprised that they just decided to sit back like they're a, a bottom three team it was the weirdest thing they're supposed to be second in the table, but they decided, how about we just not concede as much as we possibly can, and then we'll kick it on the counter and hope for the best. That's that's not Arsenal, and that's weirded me out completely. And to see us take advantage of that and say, okay, fine, if you're going to sit back, we're just going to throw everything at you consistently, and we may just win 1-0, but it'll still be three, po- uh, three points, and that's what we care about. So that made me very, very happy to watch. I think they had the, the right idea. The best way to play against us, if you're not going to be able to match us with possession or with pressing, is to sit back and to defend deep and to create a low block, basically. But they did it the completely wrong way. They just let Trent and Robbo have the ball all all day. They played a diamond for some reason. If you're going to play 4-4-2, you maybe should play like a, like a flat four in the middle so you can cover Robbo and... Uh, like we can cover our fullback and our wingers instead of instead of just leaving them completely free. So I get what they were trying to do, but like it wasn't the greatest plan. They should have just played a flat four and try to to really stop us from playing and controlling the game like that. Yeah, it's a really interesting approach. I, yeah, I mean the diamond. I mean I think I think there's an element you know of 
inferiority complex. I, I mean, it sounds dramatic to say that, but I really do because I just think we thumped them last time. We absolutely thumped them. Was it? Wasn't it five one the last match at Anfield? And I just think they were they were determined to not be so so humiliated, but determined to be more compact. But it was a strange decision, and, and maybe that was it to try and try and catch us out. But personally, when I saw that Lacazette wasn't starting, and you know they only brought him on with ten minutes to go, and Joe Willock was, I just thought, wow, that gave us a bit of a a psychological um, advantage. Having said that, though, I mean, in in the first half, in in Arsenal's defence, they did look dangerous with those long balls. Although, yeah, it is weird to see Robertson giving the freedom of the park. I mean, it was... uh, But it was a great performance because it's a really interesting question. Yeah, Maz, you you mentioned it before that you think it is the right way to set up against against us, um, you know, in a compact way. I wonder how you would approach it, Nish, if you were the Arsenal manager. Would you also have been compact? Because personally, I would have gone at them with, you know, attack and try and win 5-4 or 6-5 or something ridiculous. How, how would you have set up against us? Well, firstly, I probably wouldn't have put three defensive midfielders on. So um, <laughs> they had Denny, Denny Thebaloth, or however you pronounce it, uh, officially playing attacking midfielder he wasn't he he was more on the defensive side granite Xhaka, who always has a nightmare against us and Gwenduzi, who i actually really really like i rate him very highly especially for a young player and then they have joe willock and i don't even know what he does but i certainly would not play such a highly defensive midfield and we've seen it ourselves we have peep trolls on the internet call it the brexit midfield where we have the um, the uh, jordan henderson and milner and maybe wynaldum whoever you want to choose to be the three kind of holding midfielders who just break stuff down. But they're actually extremely good when it comes to creating. These guys, their only job was just stop them as best as you can. And that made our midfield look like absolute superstars. Eugenie Wijnaldum dancing around them. Henderson playing one of his best games I've ever seen him play, actually. I thought he had an amazing game. Uh, And Fabinho, an absolute monster. And I think we're going to touch on that later on. But he just... When you're a Premier League manager, you can't sit back and go, I'm going to throw on three defensive midfielders and and hope for the best against one of the best Liverpool teams out there. you you got to have some confidence in your team that you can create. I mean, Ozil didn't play. Uh, we didn't see Mkhitaryan until later on. It, it was just a very, very poor choice of, of fielding against us. There has to be some element of, we have quality, we should be able to attack. And I'm not just going to have one or two players up front to kick the ball long to and hope for the best. You know what the weird thing is, too, is that they kept playing the ball out of the back way too much. Like, they just kept doing it over and over and over. And it was just playing into our hands because they couldn't get out. And, like, Ceballos almost gave Mane a free goal. And it was just a disaster. Like, they, I get, I get trying to stay compact. And I think they should have done that. That's a good idea. But their execution was all over the place. It was just awful. You're absolutely right. Let's move on to us. Let's talk about Liverpool and our approach to the match, which was just to crush them, to absolutely obliterate them, to annihilate them. And uh, as I said in my blood red uh, review, it, I'm surprised the UN peacekeeping force didn't step in 
to, to, to stop this obliteration because it was absolutely relentless. It was superb. And you mentioned Fabinho before, Nish. Some stats from him. Are, you know, I mean, it's very pretty reading. Uh, Fabinho versus Arsenal's 92.9% passing accuracy. Nine out of ten long balls completed. 100% of his crosses completed. Presumably that was just one out of one. 100% of his tackles completed. Four ground duels run. One, excuse me, four ground duels. One, I think, I don't know, with pistols or something. Four key passes, one big chance created and one assist. It was a monstrous performance from Fabinho. And you could argue that he wasn't even man of the match. But, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about our Brazilian uh, defensive midfielder. I mean... Would you say he's the best in the league or equal best? How does he, you know, fare compared to his counterparts around the world as the best defensive midfielder in the world, Nish? What do you think? I don't watch a huge amount of the other teams until we face them. So it's funny we're talking so, you know, surprisingly about Fabinho when last season in the corresponding fixture, he was terrible uh, against Arsenal and it felt like this was one back. This was saying that he wanted to get out of his system as well. Going, he had such a poor game against Arsenal. Now this season, this yeah, this year in the first game against him, he's going to play man the match almost at that kind of level of performance. When it comes to you know the players of Man City, even Fernandinho is barely getting into the team now based on the positionings and the the players they have. And really, that that's it. I mean, you have Man United with who? <laughs> I mean, Matic, who's barely playing, and and the the kids that they have going on nowadays. It, it's right now. If I was looking at it, he's only got some com- competition from Manchester City, but I'm just glad that he was able to get this out of the system because I've got a few Arsenal friends, obviously, and they were saying, "Oh, Fabinho, you sucked. He had a terrible game against us last year. We're going to attack him." And look out, man, he's got go-go gadget legs. He just, when he wants to, they they get an extra inch or two and he's able to get that tackle in and he's able to break down those attacks and counterattacks so well and create at the same time. And a fascinating stat, which you don't have on here, he was the only outfield Liverpool player that did not have a shot at goal. Interesting, huh? Wow! Yeah, absolutely. And but one thing that was that was one thing I was going to mention actually. Uh, not the not that brilliant stat that you just brought to my attention, but was his decision making because there were a few times when he was about twenty five thirty meters out, and the ass nobody was pressing him, uh, and he could have leathered it and had had a go. I'm sure you know cowboy flash players like Pogba and those types and uh, Barkley would have you know just whacked one into the cup at that point but he didn't not once did he and he just played it wide played it to Trent or Robbo and it's his decision making as well that's just so wonderful to watch and um, who else stood out for you Nish in that in the match if you're going to talk about our 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 best performers it has to be Salah. I mean, we're all there going at the Community Shield going, he's had loads and loads of shots on goal, but he's doing that with half a game of preseason under his belt. And then we went and won the cup and then we went and played Southampton, beat them. And then it looked like Salah's right back in form all of a sudden, straight back into it. And the man, he's just, when he's on fire, when he's running at you in pace, uh, Obviously, David Luiz is going to have nightmares for weeks. Maybe he's going to have a poster of him on his wall when he retires. Who knows? But he's 
he's just such a scary attacker. And just at the time when I take him out of my fantasy Premier League team and put Mane in, <laughs> he goes and has a blinder of a game. <laughs> yeah, typical me, obviously. Uh, but uh, there's so many players all across the park I could really praise. But I thought if I'm going to stick to one, I'm going to say Salah. He was just phenomenal to watch. It's always a mistake to take him out of the fantasy team. I... I... I watched a couple of videos and people are saying never take him out. If you have him, just stick with him. He's gonna deliver. <laughs> so I'm never, I'm never gonna take him out. But yeah, I think I think the standout performers from we have like one from each department. So I thought Matip had a great game. What an amazing player he's becoming. And Fabinho was monstrous. He genuinely was amazing. And Mo, of course, and Bobby actually. Bobby was had a really good game because he was instrumental. A lot of the things that we were doing well, for like the second goal we scored, the penalty, it was exactly similar to the one we scored against Norwich, the first goal, the Salah goal. So we must have been practicing that. It was perfect. He got he received the pass, one touch, laid it off to Salah, and Louise like a moron. What was he doing? He just pulled his shirt. I love that. <laughs> And it, I don't know if you guys noticed, watched this, but in the post-match interview, Louise was saying that if a player was, <laughs> if a player had an extra extra large shirt, then it's easier to to grab a shirt or something. It's just some ridiculous excuse he was trying to come up with. What? What did he say? He was talking about if 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 a player had was wearing an extra large shirt, and you're pulling at him, it looks worse than it actually is. Like, my God, what are you trying to oh, say? Oh, man. That's so funny. Um, I didn't notice the size of his shirt. So I have to say, Mo Salah, I did notice his absolute brilliance on the football field and how David Luiz just couldn't... I mean, he made him look like he was about 12 years old. You know, Salah made David Luiz look like he was about 12 years old, uh, defending like he'd never defended before not like a 32 year old with you know so much experience of you know world cups and things like that but there's just something something I love I mean Salah yeah I mean for me was he was the man of the match and you mentioned Matip as well Majd I mean they were both brilliant I mean but Mo Salah just 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 to talk about just how exciting it is and how glorious it is to see Mo Salah uh, um uh, Sadio Mane, who wasn't at his best yesterday, but he's still in his prime. And Firmino, they're all in their prime together. And we've got to, hopefully, hopefully I'm touching the wood on my desk here. Hopefully they're going to stay injury free because that's the only thing that can ruin this fun. They've been playing together for a couple of years. They know where each other's moving. They're all in tandem. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what defenders you want to bring back from retirement, uh, Baresi, Cannavaro, um, Laurent Blanc, some of the great defenders of my lifetime, no one's going to stop this front three. And it's absolutely beautiful for us to see. And I'm so happy that uh, it's all come together and they've stayed with us. And uh, Kloppo's just being proved right uh, game by game that we don't need to sign anyone. Joel Matip, for example, to, to move on to him. Um, his performance was superb. Um, I'm just looking at who scored his 
player ratings. He's got 7.74 average rating this season from all of his performances in the Community Shield Super Cup, uh, including the Friendlies and the Premier League. And who scored? They're often quite stingy with their rating. So 7.74 puts him right up, though, as a fantastic defender. And Nish, if, if, if you would imagine that we signed Joel Matip in the summer and his name was, for example, Koulibaly, then you would be saying, what a brilliant signing, wouldn't you? And is he now, like, it's his position now. Joe Gomez has got to fight, he's got to wait until something something bad happens, because it's now Matip's position. I think it has to play that way. I've, I've said it a lot with Joe Gomez, how much I love the guy with his speed and athleticism and so forth, but he... He has an issue with stepping out. And when you're playing a really tight line game and a tight line defense where you you need all the defenders to be on the same wavelength and you need also your defensive midfielder to do a lot of that, you know, scrappy work with the with the other def- attackers, you can't have a center back who just runs out of the line and chases someone down, leaving a gap behind them. And that's what I've noticed Joe Gomez doing in the last few games he's played. And I've gone... Joe, you did this really early on. You did it really, really early in your career. You kicked it out uh, before you broke your leg and you became a very tight midfield, uh, tight defender. And now he's kind of brought it back into his game again. It's kind of what undid Lovren, to be honest, where he kept trying to be Superman. And I said, as soon as Lovren stops trying to be Superman, he plays like an amazing defender. He actually does the simple things very, very right. And, and Matip just seems to have it. He He has the ability to go... I know when I need to step forward, usually it's when he's got the ball at his feet and he starts doing a slinky kind of run between the defenders, which is fantastic to see. Uh, but generally, he's in the right place. He knows his, his wingbacks are going to go flying up, so he needs to stay back. He's got the athleticism to, to cut down people when he needs to. And, and mostly, he's absolutely enormous in the air, which is what you, you desperately need. But it really is that experience, that temperament, that knowledge to just stay back and do the simple things right and compliment Van Dyke, because Van Dyke plays a certain way. Gomez and Matip play a very different kind of role and a very different um, style in, in certain way as well. You need to complement that to have a very solid backline, and that's what Matip brings. Yeah, he's been flawless, almost flawless since he came in. Other than a couple of old goals that he tried to score against us, he's been really good. <laughs> uh, and. I think Joe will have to fight his way back into the lineup. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all because I'm worried about Joe's fitness. I really don't want him to get injured again. I think he's an amazing defender. I think he has a higher ceiling than Matip because of how because he's faster. So he can allow himself to like so he can catch up to any defender basically. I'm I'm pretty sure he can catch up to Mbappe. So I'm very I'm very excited about Joe and I'm and it's a good thing that they're rotating. And that he's not starting every game because that that's gonna give him an extra edge to compete with Matip to prove to Jurgen that he is up to this level and that he's good enough. And I think we we all we all can agree that we think he's good enough and he he will make it. It's just he's got a lot of potential. And it's crazy how similar he is to Matip at being a really comf- confident on the ball, really good coming out with the ball. So it's it's really great to see. I I love them both. Well, that's good, but I, I personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rotate uh, uh, anymore for for the foreseeable future. I mean, for me, Matips, I mean, he's he's earned his place. I think he looks brilliant. And as uh, they mentioned something on the Anfield Rap brief, briefly in their post match show, they they said 
that um, uh, you know somebody said in their post match show that that Joel Matter the the really pleasing thing is that all the things that used to annoy us about his game he's ironed them all out like occasionally he would maybe he would dither on the ball or something or you know he wouldn't definitely there were question marks about whether he was aggressive enough and now he's like flattening people and you know he's playing the right passes and when he does those mazy dribbles he's like you know like a sort of elongated maradona when he goes forward it's 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 beautiful to see um I love, I love, I just love watching him. And I, and I also love Joe Gomez. And I think he will be one of the world's best defenders in the future. But it, I just can't, I wouldn't be able to drop Matip. And that goal, I mean, you know, speaking of the goals, the first one, obviously from Trent's, Trent's corner that he, he played about three or four corners that were right on the money Trent yesterday which was great to see and uh, and uh, you know the Socrates David Luis the whole of the Arsenal team were you know uh, sort of doing that Roman centurion tortoise formation to block in Virgil and then up comes up leaps Matip and, uh, you know, flies in off the side of his head. Uh, I don't think, I don't know how intentional it was. But it was flew into the top corner. And I loved his celebration. I don't know if you saw the veins in his whole face and neck almost bursting with joy as he screamed. And then his arms were flapping up and down. His happy, flappy forearms. It was great to see. But then in the second half, Nish, the start of the second half, I want to talk about that first 20 minutes because I think that was like a vintage Liverpool performance, that first 20 minutes where we were absolutely mind-blowingly good. Can we sustain that niche in terms of, you know, if maybe we can do it for 30, 40, 50 minutes of a match. Do you think that's even possible? I don't think they want to, I'll be honest. Uh, I have I do try and study as much around the human aspect of the game of football, not just the, hey, I play FIFA and I'm just going to go hardcore from <laughs> for zero to 90 minutes because they're just computer generated pixels on a screen where I think a lot of the younger generation get a little bit mistaken if they don't study or play football enough during their lifetime. And a lot of what I believe Klopp has brought in is the way form changes throughout the game. Uh, against the low block teams, I've noticed that we have tapped it around. We kind of play it like a boxer. And I've used this analogy a few times on my own podcast, where you don't see boxers jump in like uh, Mike Tyson and going straight for haymakers from the very, very start and do it all, all fight long. They'll sit there and jab and jab and jab and, and weigh you down and weaken you out and weaken you out. And then right at the right moment, they'll, they'll throw in some combinations and, and go for a, you know, an absolute haymaker for the face or something like that to take the person out. And if it doesn't work, you back off a little bit, you relax, you, you get your composure again, you jab again, then you go again hard. And it's just like that in football. So there's a certain tempo that you go at for a period of time. And what I've noticed, all game, every game so far this season, we've come out super hard at the start of the second half. So it's kind of like we've held a rhythm for a period of time for the first 45 minutes, good or bad, but usually it's, it's quite controlled at least. Uh, controlled aggression big time against Arsenal because we had some, some 
energy in our legs this time around, but then we hit them hard for 20 minutes. And usually that's when we're now scoring goals rather than the last 15 minutes like we usually do. And then if we're able to get the result we want, then we withdraw back again and go, now it's time to just rest because the, our legs are getting tired. We don't want to rotate too much. We also don't want injuries and the hamstrings popping and the quads popping and the calves popping because you can't sustain that level for too long a period of time. So I think it's an extremely controlled and a very well managed game always in what we do. And no matter what Klopp says in regards to, oh, wasn't happy at this point, this point, this point, I, I still think it's it's very much intentional. Now, this is how hard and how fast we're going to go for this period of time only. Then again at this point, and if we're succeeding and we get what we want, then we have to withdraw back because it's a very long season ahead of me and we can't afford anyone to get injured. So I call it game management and I absolutely love it. <laughs> so that's that's my long-winded answer to your very short question. Yeah, I mean, take as much time as you like. It's a very, very good answer. And that's something that I think, uh, I mean, Maz touched on it at the start when he's talking about the control of the match. I think we controlled the match really well uh, for the first time, really, this season, uh, Nish. And, and I'm going to stay with you uh, just to ask you, I mean, do you think we can do that in the future? We need to learn a bit more to keep the ball better. Klopp mentioned in his post-match um, uh, interview uh, that uh, his press conference, I think, his post-match press conference, that we need to not just kick the ball and keep trying to attack. We need we need more of this game management. We need more of this patience and keeping the ball. If it's not on to play the forward pass, to keep playing it back when we're in a good position. Is that one thing that we need to improve on in general? I think that was the big change from last year's performance, the years before last year, if that makes sense. The years before last year, it was gegenpressing, heavy metal football, go hard, headbutt the wall, punch your, your fist into the wall as hard as you can and do that for 90 minutes. And it just didn't work. And people may have seen aimless passing around, but it, it did seem quite aimless before last year. Then last year, it seemed a lot more, uh, we get it now. Now we have the talent around us. We have Mo Salah, we got, we got Mane, we got Firmino, we've got all kinds of players all over the park and Virgil van Dijk and Allison at the back, where we can just simply pass it around, but with an actual purpose. So it's taken two or three years to start developing. And, and last year was the very first sign where I saw, okay, I get it now. We are passing this way, this way, this way, because now we have the talent to do that incisive pass at the right time from whoever goes to Trent, who slides it across the booknet goal face, and then someone taps it away, whatever's needed when in the past we didn't have the talent. So we tried it, didn't work. So we thought, all right, well, let's just, let's just go hard the whole time. And now this year where the team is together and we just know each other that much better, it's, it's 100% game management. How much can we hold the ball? Because we know and we have the confidence and we've done this for years now and we will find that right moment no matter who we're up against and we will find that incisive pass and we will score and we will win. And that's why I'm saying just hold it keep going. We know what to do. There's no new faces here, no fresh faces who are still working out our system. We all know what to do. Let's go hard and do it. And it touches on what you said earlier. Keeping players was more important to Klopp this year than getting new players in for this exact reason. So I'm over the moon, to be honest. It's an excellent answer. Um, and big part of that, a big part of uh, this, this control, this game management, this keeping the ball is our midfield. 
Um, and that midfield yesterday, Fabinho, Henderson, Vijnaldum. Um, Maz, is that our best one? I mean, regardless, if everybody was fit, is that the midfield that you think is the best one for, for Jurgen Klopp's system? Based on the evidence that we saw, I would say no. And that's only not, not to knock any of them off, but it's because the combination of Fabinho, Hendo, and Naby last year was working wonders. It was towards the end of the last season. It was starting to really hit off, and we were really, really doing well with it. And the Porto game, the Chelsea game, a couple of other games, we really did well with that with that combination. So it's all about, like, complementing each other in the midfield. We have a lot of different midfielders with a lot of different attributes. So it's just about finding the right combination. And usually they're all pretty good together, and they're all very reliable. It's uh, it's a great problem to have, but... I, and I don't know what the best midfield is because we have two secret weapons that we don't know how they're going to work together. Ox and Naby, I don't know how they're going to play together when they do. So it's it's up for grabs, I would say, in the midfield at, as to what the best combination is. But I think we all trust all of them and they're pretty reliable. And basically, whoever we put in, we have a pretty good chance of winning. So that's how I feel about the midfield anyways. And... I think the well, game changers are Ox and Naby, but we we don't know how that's going to look like. It's going to be exciting. Well, it's very, very interesting. Interesting call. Um, so, potentially, I'm not saying you're, you're saying that he's a bad player or anything, but you would drop Vinaldum. Because um, I think, I mean, looking at his performance yesterday, it, he had 98.3% passing accuracy from 58 passes. And if you compare that to Jordan Henderson, he had 50 passes with... 84% passing accuracy, which is also very, very good. Uh, uh, Fabinho had 70 passes with 92.9% passing accuracy. But I think, don't you think, Mads, that we miss Vijnaldum when he's not there for all of the donkey work that he does and all of this, you know, tactical, position-wise, defensively? I mean, I, I don't know. I would struggle to drop him personally. I understand that. Yeah, it's really difficult to drop Genie because he's such a he's such a smart player at what he does, and he's he is actually very elite off the ball, and he he's really good on the ball. But he's actually his main skill set is off the ball, and his tactical intelligence, his cutting off lane, passing lanes, and covering defender, covering for uh, Robertson. He's re- he's a really smart player and a really valuable player to have. And I also I don't like when I drop Genie. It's just it's just from the evidence of which midfield combination complements each other the best. From what we've seen last year, I would say when putting Naby with Hendo and Fabinho just works really well and helps us going forward a lot. So that's just the observation I have. And I I don't really want to drop Genie. I I love him. I think he's a really fantastic player, but just. Just maybe Ox and Genie and Fabinho is a really good combination. We don't know yet. That's going to be exciting to see. So I, I think the the possibilities are endless with that midfield. That's a really exciting part about it. Yeah, you're very true. What's what's your take on it, Nish? I think it's very much what you're talking about. It's it's the old saying of horses for courses. You know, if it's a a wet cold night at Stoke on a Tuesday, uh, sometimes it's better to play the not very tricky players. It's better to have Milner, Hendo and Fabinho playing in other games and maybe better to have Lalana out of six. You never know. Uh, it, that we've got so many options 
it just opens us up to a world of possibilities. And I know that's what, what Klopp and everyone's looking at right now. Who are we facing? What's the challenge ahead of us? And what combination will work best to counteract what they're trying to do? And it, that's a dream position for any club to be in. So uh, there is, not in my head, there is there is no best three midfielders at all. Um, except for Fabinho, who I love immensely, and and Henderson, who I think is just getting better and better. Uh, but on top of that, there are going to be games when it's better that they don't play. And people will get pissed off. That's fine. But you're not paid to be a Champions League winning manager. And that's what Klopp does. So I will trust what he chooses immensely because it's their job. Well, OK, OK. But I'm sorry. I mean, there's a very good answer, a very diplomatic answer. But I'm going to put you a bit on the spot. Imagine that, you know, Jurgen Klopp uh, decides to go on holiday to the Black Forest and we're playing in the Champions League final uh, against uh, Barcelona. And um, he decides who to put in charge for the match. He decides on you, Nish, because he loves the LFC couch. And uh, so you're the boss. Um, who are you going to pick in midfield against Barcelona in the Champions League final? So you, you say Fabinho, Henderson and who other? I'd pick Genie for sure. Because that's the game when you're facing someone like Barcelona. They are tricky. They're tactical. They're very fast moving. They're going to beat us with essentially what they practice every single week, rondos, you know, the the one-touch passing between the piggy in the middle. Uh, that's how they play. They're very fast and quick. You wouldn't pick Milner, even though he would play well in other against other teams, but because he's just not quick enough, you do need someone with like Genie who will constantly chase you down, no matter where you are, use his physicality and his speed to close you down and get the ball back. I wouldn't pick Ox because that kind of falls into exactly how the, the Spanish play. Uh, you you would think we'd need an attacking outlet, but you wouldn't. You would need someone who's actually going to be a lot more in your face and trying to get the ball back. Get it through to someone like Fabinho and Henderson who have the vision and passing ability to get it to the right players. So that's why I say in these particular games, you just have to judge the opposition and you've got to play it game by game regardless of the the celebration or the actual event you may think that an attacking midfielder or a cater or an ox would be a better selection, but you have to play against the opposition, and that's what the elite sport is about. Very reasonable answer. Very, very reasonable answer. All right, just one more player I want to talk about before we uh, start previewing the Burnley match quickly. And um, uh, Virgil van Dijk's stats from yesterday. Because <laughs> stats don't do him justice. This is something that... Uh, you know, I realised a little while ago. I mean, yesterday, for example, as I mentioned before, Joel Matip, three tackles, three interceptions, one clearance, one blocked shot uh, and a goal. But Virgil van Dijk, no tackles, no interceptions. And if you're just looking at the stats, <laughs> this is why I think he it took so long for a top club to pick him up. Okay, okay, we did for a, world, a then world record fee. But his stats don't tell you how much he bullied a brilliant player in Nicola Pepe yesterday and, and, and the way that he shepherded him off the ball and the way that he let the ball run out with Pepe buzzing around him and he just used his hips to sort of shove Pepe over the goal line and he's... 
they call it the art of defending for a reason. And I thought yesterday it was an artistic performance, Majd, from Big Verge, Virgil van Dyke. And I want you to remember life before Virgil and life uh, AD, you know, after Dyke, in the year of our Dyke. Uh, and and it's, it's just game by game. It's beautiful to watch, Majd, isn't it? Absolutely. He is, abs- without a doubt, the best defender in the world. Without a doubt, in my mind, that he's the best defender I've ever seen. The way he does everything is just incredible. He makes everything look effortless. Like, look at his the stats you mentioned are really funny because you'd think he wasn't doing anything. And that's basically what he does every game because he doesn't have to do much to actually to completely dominate a game. I've never seen a player be so dominant from center back and that's a great strength of his and he's just it's like he sees a picture in his head and he knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly the right thing to do and this what the safest option is and how to completely annihilate danger and eliminate any sort of danger on goal he's just a great an all-time great I think I think he's going down as an all-time great if he continues this level because this is in my opinion unprecedented how good this guy is and how dominating he is so i just love him so much <laughs> totally yeah one of the all-time greats nish would you agree yeah already he's uh he's very much up there and i think it's that maldini quote i think it's maldini or one of the other players where he say if i've had to make a tackle i've already made a mistake and so you mentioned his shepherding you mentioned and that how you position an attacker and that's what great defenders do. And people I saw on Twitter before before this game were saying, oh, you know, he doesn't run into one-on-ones. He actually backs off of them. I went, yeah, that's that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Every defender worth their ilk knows that it's the first person to make a mistake is the person who gets beaten. And that's what he does great. He's such a huge being. He's just, he puts that attacker into the corner and usually Pepe this time around and just waits for help, waits for support, gets it close it down, rinse and repeat, wait for the attacker to make a make a move or make a mistake, and then you kill them. It, it's absolutely beautiful to see. So Virgil, what he's done to our defense, and you mentioned imagining <laughs> what we were like pre-Van Dyke. Uh, it, it's, I, I think my brain has decided to kill off all those memories as best it could and just think of happy thoughts moving forward because it, it's, only, it's only bright skies moving forward with Virgil and the team. <laughs> and there's something else as well. I mean, that chance that uh, Aubameyang had after Adjo made that poor clearance straight to him. I think he sort of misses the target because there's just something about Virgil, as you mentioned, his his very presence, how how massive he is, that just causes, you know, it's like a micro movement, a nano movement of a, a nano hesitation in the striking of a football from the attackers. And I think to outside fans, maybe this would sound ridiculous, but I honestly think he just puts them off with his presence. I've seen lots of attackers since he's been with us in this, you know, beautiful time that he's been, you know, he's been a red and, you know, he's been loving being a red by all accounts. And, you know, I've seen so many attackers just, they're, they're, they've got the ball, they're in a good position. 
they're against say Gomez or Lovren or or Matip and they and they just go for it and and they might shoot and they might score whereas against Van Dyke they they sort of stop running or they fall over or they just pass it backwards because they don't even want anything to do with this colossus this demigod at the back he's a magical being he's superb Absolutely wonderful. Now let's move on to Burnley. Imagine you're Sean Dyche. My word, how can you possibly stop this magnificent Liverpool team? He's got to he's got to park the bus, Nish, hasn't he? That's the got to be his approach and then I don't know, would you play two two up front against us? How would you set up against against us if you were Sean Dyche? I don't think he's going to change anything. I think he's he's got an extremely well-drilled team. Uh, they won their first game 3-0 against Southampton at home. Uh, and that was just Nashley Barnes' superstar performance there. And then they off to Arsenal. They only lose 2-1 away from home, obviously, in, in Arsenal Stadium. Uh, and going with a traditional, you know, age-old English 4-4-2 uh, performance, they're going in there. And they've got really, really solid defenders of Ben Mee, Tarkowski and um, Nick Pope are obviously back in goal. And they've got so many options up there. Chris Wood, he's a Kiwi. So, you know, shout out to my Kiwi friends over the, over the pond over here. But Ashley Barnes being on fire as well. They can't, They I doubt they'll sit back. I think they're going to come straight at us. He's a clock shun lovingly about the work that Sean Dyche is doing over there and said that you know, you can't put a, a dollar on how well he's doing down uh, with the Burnley team. So with them, I don't think they should or will change their approach at all with us. They're going to come hit us hard, hit us with what they know that they're doing best. I think it's going to come out standard 4-4-2 and they're going to play their game. And, you know, all the best, as Stevie Gerrard said once. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. How how do you see this one going, Majd? I mean... Yeah, Nish is right. We've got to we've got to respect them and you know the wonderful job they're doing. But I don't know. I mean, if if Liverpool play anything like what we're capable of, then we we should win fairly comfortably, home or away against Burnley, shouldn't we? Oh, we will win. There's absolutely no doubt about this. I'm very confident in our, that we're gonna win. But it's not gonna be an easy game because Burnley are just a bastard team. They're just awful to play against, and. Unai Emery should have really followed the 4-4-2 that they employ because they're really good at it. And they they actually high-press. They're completely progressive in the way that they're willing to high-press. They're willing to go and harass the defenders and cut off the passing lanes and really go for it. They don't, they don't get scared. They don't just sit back five yards away from a goal and try to last-ditch tackle everything. They really try to go for it and try to put pressure on you. And Turf Moor is not an easy place to go. It's, it's, it's a difficult place to go. So they really know how to get the atmosphere going. And it's going to be a night game, I think. So the atmosphere will be buzzing there. They will try to hopefully not injure us because they seem to always do that. And one player I think we should be worried about a little bit is Dwight McNeil. He plays on, the, on their left-hand side. So he's going to be facing Trent. And he could give Trent a really bad day because... He's really that talented. He's such a talented player. So I think that's their main danger. And, of course, set pieces and stuff like that. So it's going to be a difficult game. I expect us to concede. I expect us to win. 
Oh yeah, okay, yeah. I have. I, I gotta say, I don't. I haven't seen too much of Burnley, um, you know. So I, I can't really comment on Dwight McNeil, but I will keep a keep an eye out for him. On uh, yes, absolutely. And the player I also like of theirs is is Jack Cork. I think he's a very underrated midfielder. Um, you saw how Swansea collapsed after they sold him. And, uh, you know, Burnley are doing so well. And I think a lot of that is Jack Cork. He makes some great decisions, uh, keeps the game simple, keeps the game moving, one and two touch football. I think he's a very underrated player. But uh, it's something that gives me, uh, fills me with confidence, really, is how brilliant Kebayos was um, against Burnley uh, compared to how quiet he was against us. So hopefully we can find some kind of you know, plan to keep, uh, you know, Burnley quiet and, and our players can, you know, just have the platform to hammer them. But I don't know. If I, yeah, as you say, it won't be that easy, probably. So thank you very much, uh, gentlemen. I think that's more or less all we've got time for. I mean, um, just one thing I'd like to mention before we uh, do go is Bobby Firmino's flick. Um, over Caballos's head uh, before the volley that was unfortunately blocked. Um, I would still be running. Um, I would have just left my house running and screaming had that gone in. And I would still be running and screaming, um, you know, sort of like 17 hours, 18 hours after the match. Uh, because that was just something that was... Out, out of this world, beautiful. Out of this world, magical, wasn't it? And uh, I just wonder if there are any anything else you wanna you wanna mention, uh, Nish, uh, or Majd, uh or is this uh, have we done it? One thing actually that's coming up is the Champions League draw, so we get to know who we're facing. Hopefully, we get the easiest one possible. Oh yes, the Champions League draw. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's all we can say, isn't it? We hope it's uh, you know sort of the. The easiest teams with the, the least travelling distance. But yes, that should be very interesting. That's on Friday, isn't it? So, yeah, we'll we'll look out for that. Yeah. Good call. All right. Well, thanks very much, gentlemen. And uh, yeah, um, up the Reds, as Mash say. What a time to be alive. So there we are. I do so very sincerely hope that you've enjoyed this episode. It was certainly a lot of fun to make. Cop On is a podcast that is open to any and every football fan in the world, including you. So please send us your hate mail to coponpodcast at gmail.com. Troll us on Twitter at coponpodcast. You could support us by pledging just one US dollar per month via patreon.com forward slash coponpodcast. And if you don't want to do any of that, please just share us around. Tell your neighbour, tell your doctor, tell your vet. Not that I'm calling you an animal, because why would I? Of course you're not. I'd just like to leave you with an example of a haiku by the brilliant Kobayashi Issa, who was around from 1763 to 1828, and it sort of reminded me of the long way ahead as we sit atop the Premier League with a massive 35 matches to go. Oh, snail, climb Mount Fuji, but slowly, slowly.